stumble to the kitchen for myself a cup of ambition and yawn and We tackle the often uniquely but not always female dilemma of managing life, work, family, and self. I'm Maura Carlin. And I'm Christy Derrico. With women a major part of the workforce and two income families common and unavoidable, the demands on women are extraordinary and only increasing. Our guests explore these issues and offer advice on achieving or not achieving balance. Stepping in, stepping out, stepping sideways, and stepping back in. Our guest today is Eileen Moskowitz-Palma. She is a local Westchester County author, and she's here to discuss how to turn curveballs into pivots. We invited Eileen here today to discuss reinventing yourself, side hustles, hobby hustles, jobbies, and how to pivot. And we invite you to call in with your questions or comments. It's um, 914-636-0110. Phone lines are open. Good afternoon, Eileen. Good afternoon, Christy and Maura. Thank you so much for having me. It's our pleasure. Yes, I can't wait to hear. Why don't you tell everyone something about yourself? Okay, so I am a middle grade author, and I have launched two books in the middle of the pandemic. I also teach um, novel writing at Sarah Lawrence College's The Writing Institute. Um, I recently moved to downtown White Plains with my family, and this is where we've been quarantining. So you started off as a teacher, is that correct? Yes, I started off as an elementary school teacher. Did you? And I loved it. I loved working with kids. Did you find that, you know, as a calling, as many teachers say it, would it, say it is for them? Yes. And in my case, I thought my calling was to teach kids in the classroom. And I didn't realize that there's lots of ways to reach kids and teach, whether it's kids or adults. And um, I loved teaching elementary school. I only stopped teaching because I developed autoimmune issues when I became pregnant with my daughter 18 years ago. So after my daughter was born, I it took me three years to get healthy enough to try to go back in the classroom. And it lasted another two and a half years before a doctor told me that I just, my body couldn't handle, you know, little kids like to hold your hand, they give you hugs, you know, when they have germs all over them. So I had to stop teaching in the classroom. And I thought that my teaching career was over forever. And I never would have guessed all these years later that I would be um, teaching, but in a different way, not only at Sarah Lawrence College, but also I have been working virtually with kids since March through the pandemic. And I've worked with over 300 kids. So um, it it was not what I expected at all. So let's rewind a little bit. So actually, Mm -hmm. Eileen, I met you at Sarah Lawrence in one of your Mm -hmm. classes that you taught there with uh, your co-teacher, um, mm-hmm. And that was a Inez. yeah, Inez. That's right. There was a great experience. And tell me, how did how did it come about that you got that experience? How did you pivot from being a grammar school teacher mm-hmm. into uh, a position in an institution like Sarah Lawrence? Great question. Okay, so I tried to find my way back into education, and I was the coordinator of the Bronxville Adult School. And while I was doing that. I really wanted to pursue my dream of writing. I had always planned on being a writer and a teacher. And so while I was working at the Bronxville Adult School, which worked for me health-wise, and it was my foray back into into education, I took 
the same class that you ended up taking with me as a teacher, I was the student for about five years. I took a novel writing class there and eventually published my own book. And when I was sitting in that classroom, when I was a student, I remember looking at the teacher and thinking, this would be my dream teaching job, to be able to sit in a classroom and talk about writing and help people improve their manuscripts. And then five years later, I had the honor of being asked, take over that same class that was my dream class. And seven years later, I am still teaching novel writing there. So let me just take you further back. When you were told that you could no longer teach in the classroom, I mean, it was sort of a forced pivot for you. Mm -hmm. Did you look at it as a failure or setback, or was it an opportunity to do something you loved or something else? So at the time, I looked at it as a failure, and I sort of had a double failure. This autoimmune illness um, that I had um, was a life-threatening illness called HELP syndrome. And so it not only cost me my teaching career, I was unable to physically have or adopt more children. So I had this period in my life where I felt like this illness took so many things away from me. And so this is for anyone listening who is at that dark place in your life where all of a sudden you've been forced to pivot Um, At the time, I didn't understand that God had bigger plans for me because if that didn't happen, I don't know if I would have had three published books by now, and I certainly wouldn't be teaching at Sarah Lawrence. So now I'm able to look back and know that I was meant to be on that path, and it happened for a reason, but at the time, it took me a little while to figure that out. So Eileen, can you recall, like looking back to that moment, were there any resources that you relied upon or family or friends that help you look at your experience, which didn't feel so great in the moment, but Mm -hmm. look at it as something that could be turned into something for good in your life? My mom, for sure, Um, when I was at my sickest and darkest place, um, I was not able to teach. I could not even take care of my baby without help when my husband was in veterinary school and I was staying with my parents for a couple of weeks to just kind of get healthy. My mom brought me the Writer's Market book, um, you know, which is a reference book to Um, help you figure out where you can send queries out to submit for articles or to find an agent. My mom said to me, you've always wanted to be a writer. Maybe now is the time for you to start thinking about that. And um, that really started me thinking that, okay, maybe this is an opportunity to spend some time writing. Um, So yeah, my mom for sure. And my husband, a hundred percent. My husband and I have been together since college and he and I, when hard things happen to one of us, the other person doesn't let the other spouse give up. Um, he was he always believed in me. He always believed that I would find my way back to teaching in a different way. And he always believed that I would be a published author. And that really helped. You know, Maura has some great stats here. I just, you, you really make me think of an experience myself. Uh, flashing back to moms, mm-hmm. my mother encouraged me to run a race after I had uh, two babies and I thought my uh, uh, career as an athlete was over and I ran the whole race without turning around because I thought I was last. So <laughs> I, I turned around right at the finish line and clearly I was not last. But Maura, let's share some stats. Right. Because you had to make <laughs> another... A great story. <laughs> I mean, you had to make another pivot 
in this pandemic. And we're just going to talk, I'm going to talk a minute about the pandemic. And it's causing what some are calling a she session instead of a recession because it's affecting women more than men, which is actually different than it's been in prior recessions. In the 2008 um, recession, more men than women lost their jobs. And some women went back to work during it. But mm-hmm. in this pandemic, four times as many women have dropped out of the workforce just in September. Forty percent of parents surveyed by career website Flex are changing their employment situations. Twenty-five percent voluntarily reduced hours. Fifteen percent mm-hmm. quit entirely. And of those, 38 percent don't plan to return. And it's even more than the uh, losing a job or choosing not to work. Those who are staying aren't getting promoted equally with men. A study this Mm -hmm. past August by Qualtronics and Boardlist concluded that men working from home were four times more likely to get pay raises at that time than women. So with that background about the pandemic, tell us what you've had to do, because I think you had a book coming out, uh, which Mm -hmm. I assume meant book tours and sales and, and everything. What happened for you? Okay, so um, my book, my first book in my series, um, Camp Click, came out in April at the height of the pandemic. All of the bookstores were closed. All of the schools were closed, you know, to children. The libraries were closed. And I was heartbroken because after giving up teaching the first time around teaching kids, I couldn't wait to actually get in the classroom with kids again. And so the week before the shutdown, I visited a creative writing camp in the Bronx, and I modified the program that I do with adults at Sarah Lawrence College for kids. And I realized, hmm, now I'm not going to have this opportunity to bring this to kids in person. And that's what I was most devastated about. So my husband... Like I said, he didn't let me stay down for long. He said, I think you're missing the point here. Maybe you can serve these kids in some way. Don't forget you're not just a teacher, you're a writer. And we brainstormed over the course of the weekend and came up with this idea for a virtual writing camp for kids to help serve them during the pandemic. And what started as a two-week program... Let's hold for one moment, and after the commercial, we'll hear more about the Writing Enrichment Program. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you. And you're listening to The Balance Dilemma. Our guest today is Eileen Moskowitz-Hama, who's a former teacher and writer, or actually she's still a teacher, but we want to remind you that you can call in and participate in our conversation. It's 914-636-0110. Eileen, before we took that break, you were telling us about your pandemic pivot to the writing enrichment program. Yes. So um, when my husband and I brainstormed, we made a flyer, we put it up on Facebook, and I thought for two weeks I could help out whatever families were struggling, um, you know, because at the time people were posting all over Facebook how they were struggling, particularly women, to work from home and help their kids manage their online schools. So I was hoping to provide a service for the families in general, like the parents who needed childcare and the kids who needed some socialization and writing enrichment. So anyway, I started this program. 
I, I really thought it was going to last for two weeks and I was going to do it on my own, but the interest was unbelievable. So I ended up partnering with six public libraries over the summer, the Providence Children's Museum, the Rhode Island Department of Education, Talia's book, um, Kids Book Club Camp and Symphony Space did an event with me. Um, and I, I have worked with over 300 kids since the pandemic started. And I have recently partnered with different regions within the Girl Scouts organization to bring my writing programs to them as well. Now, let me ask you a question. Did you charge for this program? No. You know, um, I listen to a lot of entrepreneurial um, podcasts. And one thing that comes up a lot is if you want to think of yourself like a business person, you really should be clear on what your mission is. And my mission throughout this time has remained the same. My mission is not to profit off of this situation that our families are in. Um, It would be great if I could sell books because I'm like a small business who's been affected by this. Um, But I do not charge for the time itself. I donate all of my teaching hours. I just ask if kids are able to, that they purchase a copy of uh, one or both of my books. And and in, in doing that, I have been able to reach more children and accomplish this mission of serving children through this time while also hopefully selling books because like I said at the beginning the bookstores were closed and this is a difficult time. So uh, I made a conscious decision not to charge. I have had parents over the course of this email me and say I feel bad I want to pay you something but I remain firm that you know if I charge one parent then I then I it's only fair if I charge everyone and I don't feel right charging anyone right now I don't charge for my time I just ask for book purchases so you really you you brought up you introduced a great term entrepreneur Mm -hmm. so we've got teacher we've got mother (laughs) we've got writer and now entrepreneur do you have any background as a business owner how how do you incorporate this new uh linguistic uh term in our Mm -hmm. vernacular here I love that question because it's something I talk to my novel writing students about all the time. Naturally, I do not think like a business person. I never have. My husband doesn't either. He is a veterinarian in the nonprofit hospital. And so the two of us, we don't think like business people, naturally. And I knew these books were coming out, so I have spent the past two years training my brain to think more like an entrepreneur and think more like a business person. So I listened to Amy Porterfield's online marketing uh, Made Easy podcast, Gold Digger by Jenna Kutcher, The Rachel Hollis Show, The David Box Show. I just started listening to Bethany Frankel's new show. And so for two years, I have been listening, paying attention. So then when the pandemic hit, I had already trained my brain to think like an entrepreneur. And I really dug into that. And I think that's what saved me. And we're um, going to include yeah. all of these recommendations in our show notes. This is great. I listen to podcasts myself. And I, I love that you have these recommendations that may, may be able to help people. Because mm-hmm. today, you can find out almost everything that you need to learn for running a small business right in free resources, whether in podcasts or online. So that's really great. So you use these skills that you learned through these Resources. Can I just interrupt and ask what some of those skills are there for we those go. of us who are not entrepreneurs? Oh, interesting. Um, one of those things is pivoting. 
if you have a certain business strategy that is not working for whatever reason, then you need to pivot and come up with a different strategy. So, for example, I thought I could bring these programs I did at the libraries to the schools this year. I thought I had my business plan figured out. But the schools were so overwhelmed with running online learning and hybrid learning that the school didn't, you know, that part of my plan didn't work. So I pivoted again and I reached out to the Girl Scouts organization and I'm actually able to serve more kids through them. So um, that was one of the things I learned. Um, Another thing I learned about is being authentic on social media and putting yourself out there so that you can connect with more people in a real way so you have true connections. Um, so those are two two of the bigger things. Oh, and also um, some of these podcasts talk about your mission um, and what things you should give away for free and what things you should charge for and how that works. Yeah, so you, those are just some of the things I I was listening about. to a talk today of uh, female business owners, and they really stress the importance of a mission and staying true to your mission. And yep. I'm not sure you would always hear that in a male-dominated, uh, uh, you know, zone. I thought it was something that was a good introduction and uh, gives your product more authenticity. So you, you had one pivot, and then you managed to pivot again when everyone was sick of online learning. And how's that going? It's going really well. Um, I recently partnered with the Girl Scouts um, that, from the Washington, D.C. region that serves 86,000 girls. Um, I partnered with... How does that um, come about when you're in New York? Oh, so um, it came about because I I wrote up sort of a business proposal um, that included testimonials from kids who have worked with me before, testimonials from their parents, book you know, editorial book reviews, um, interview links, and then I said how I was going to tweak this, and I was open to bringing it to do scribe or storyteller badge workshops. And so I just sent queries out, almost like the queries you send when you're trying to sell a book. Right. And I waited to see who got back to me. And and I've partnered with five or six of these regions. Um, So these big regions in the U.S. I've partnered with part of New Jersey, part of Wisconsin, Ohio, uh, part of Michigan. Um, And then they'll put on their website the information for my free programs. And then the troop leaders will contact me and... um, get the ball rolling. Well, there's one thing that can be said. You are a tremendous cheerleader, and it sounds like you've kept your confidence up, and when you might have been a little nervous that things were going in a different way, you really brought it, turned the corner. Okay, we're off for another commercial break. We'll be right back with The Balanced Dilemma. You're listening to The Balanced Dilemma. We're speaking with Eileen Moskowitz-Palma, a teacher, a writer, an entrepreneur, you can call in, participate in our discussion. Numbers 914-636-0110. The phone lines are open. So, Eileen, we when we've spoken about these uh, influences you've had for becoming an entrepreneur, you, you threw around some terms with me that I'd never heard before. One of them was a jobby. Uh, we've also discussed the, the concept of a side hustle. Uh, tell me what these mean and, and how do they play in, into your story? Okay, well, I can't take credit for the word jobby. I heard that term on Jody Moore's podcast, and um, she she really spoke about the difference between a side hustle and a jobby. Um, a jobby um, 
might be, let's say I called myself a writer. Um, everyone's a writer who writes, but let's say that I said that that was my job, but I wasn't really working towards making it happen professionally. You know, if I wasn't really having a good schedule, looking into agents, figuring out what I needed to do to potentially make a living at it. And it's okay to have something as your jobby. Some people, um, to have a jobby is great. That's what works for, for you and you're happy with it. A side hustle is where you're really gunning for it. So when I was writing my first book, Worth the Weight, I had two part-time jobs and, um, Writing started out as a jobby, and then I really transitioned it into a side hustle where I was not only um, trying to write, I prioritized it, I made time for it, and I took the necessary steps to turn it into something I could eventually do professionally. And there's no judgment for either or, but the difference would be if writing was just a jobby to me instead of a side hustle, then um, as opportunities would come my way to volunteer when it was just a jobby, I took on a lot of volunteer work and I didn't prioritize my writing. It was when I shifted into making it my side hustle and I knew I wanted to do it professionally I started saying no to these other things in my life that were pulling me away from my writing. So I think that would be the definition of both. And like I said, they're both fine. It's You just have to recognize what makes sense for you and your own life. You know, you've said so many things that we could dive into. But one thing <laughs> that I'd love to talk with you about is... You, you squeezed it in. You made it happen. You, you've described morphing from what was a jobby or a hobby hustle mm -hmm. into a real side hustle and then a, a real uh, vocation that you've been and following. How did you do that? Talk, walk us through a day. How did you squeeze it in? And how could somebody else find the mm -hmm. time to commit maybe three, four hours a week to do something that could blossom into a real passion mm -hmm. for them? I love that question because, like I said, with my first book, I was working two part-time jobs, and my daughter was younger, and she was a competitive gymnast. And so I would have to carpool from Bronxville to Manhattan to Chelsea Piers, where she was on the team, and spend many hours in the car back and forth. But I would also stay in Manhattan for four hours while she was at practice instead of driving back and forth. And so that was my writing time 100%. I wouldn't call friends. I wouldn't sit with the other moms in the mezzanine and hang out. I would find a place by myself away from everybody else and use that time to work. I would look at my schedule, and I still do this every week. I look at my schedule, and I block out time that is just for writing, and I keep that time sacred. You have to schedule that time like you would a doctor's appointment or work at your other job. If you have some kind of side hustle, it can happen. You just have to be really organized. Look at your calendar at the beginning of a week, block out the time, and hold yourself accountable to working towards your side hustle during those time blocks. And right. that's what I did. And setting small goals. I was fascinated mm -hmm. that you said you needed to say no to things. Yes. That's something that Typically, we as women find very difficult. How did you identify that as something you had to do and what kinds of things did you say no to? I love that question. Okay, so in my case with autoimmune illness, you have to be really careful to not overbook yourself because you can end up having a really serious health relapse. 
so um, between that and the writing, I started to realize I was overbooking myself. And so one of the things I was doing was volunteering at school. I was, and also for gymnastics, I was like the gymnastics mom, you know, for a year. And what I realized, and, and this might be the same for a lot of other moms, like we think that we have to be those ones who volunteer at school and do all of those things. But my daughter didn't care about those things. So, um, she loved having me at cross country meets to cheer for her, but she didn't care if I was on the PTA. She didn't care if I volunteered at school. And so I looked to my own child in terms of things I thought I was doing to help as a mom. And I scaled back on the things that didn't matter to her and put my time towards the things that did like showing up at her cross country meets. And I was really proud of channeling my time as a mom in a way that really mattered. Were you doing those things only because they you thought they might have mattered to her or did they matter to you? I mean, there are a lot of people who who are satisfied and feel good about being involved with their kids' school or their kids' activities. Mm-hmm. Then that 100%, we need those people. We, what, my best friend is the head of the PTA in Bronxville and we need people like her because... She's dealing with all the changes that have to do with COVID. So 100%, if you are a mom, that that you feel really tied to those things, you care about those things, you get nourishment of your soul for those things, 100%, then you should put your time towards that and then work your side hustle around it. Um, In my case, I wasn't feeling drawn to those things and my daughter didn't really care about me doing those things. so I chose to go to the cross-country meets. A lot of moms wouldn't do that. They would think that was a waste of time. They'd rather volunteer in the PTA and make change in that way. So you as a person have to figure out for yourself as a mom and for your kids what makes sense for them and channel your energy that way. So my personal choice might not work for someone else. So this is a really good uh, topic. And I wonder, did you come to a realization one day where you said, you know what, I got to cut some of these things out? Or was it something that you were focusing on your goals and you said, this comes first, I have to squeeze this in, therefore I only have room for X, Y, and Z? After you've asked your daughter what's the most important charities mom could be part of. <laughs> right, so um, one, uh, two things were happening. One is I was really struggling to get my health under control. And so that's why same with the volunteering at school for some moms who don't have health problems they could do a lot of that volunteer work and still have time for a side hustle and have all the energy me personally uh, I was struggling with my health and my doctor said you really need to cut back on some things so you're gonna have to prioritize so that was one piece of it the second thing was I went to a writing conference and a writer who was way more successful than me said if you know to everyone in the audience if you want to publish a book and that is your goal then you need to evaluate every other opportunity or situation that comes up and you need to ask yourself will this keep me from being able to write my book and sometimes the answer will be yes like it might slow me down but it's worth it like I could take this volunteer um, situation at my church, and yes, it might make it harder to finish my book, but I would feel really drawn to that. And so then it's worth the sacrifice, right? Other things you have to evaluate and say, this is going to take up too much time. I'm not going to have time to write my book, and I don't care about this thing so much that it's worth the sacrifice. 
And so I started looking at every situation and thinking if I should say yes or no to it in that lens. So how much time did you find that you needed to devote to the writing? I mean, how many hours are we talking about that you needed to clear? I think it varies. Um, I'm one of those people that, um, you know, I could do a power hour and get a lot accomplished in a short amount of time. So um, it really varies for me from week to week. It also varies as your, as, uh, as a writer as your career changes. So right now I have been doing book promo nonstop um, and I haven't done writing, but I'm still I've been I've been working probably sixty hour weeks right now promoting and and setting up programs and things. So uh, now now your new hat is marketing, right? That's basically what you have to do. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Balanced Dilemma. We are speaking with Eileen Moskowitz Palma, a teacher, writer, and entrepreneur, and. You got another chance to call in and ask questions, 914-636-0110. So, Eileen, you've talked with us today as a published author. And what people may not know is what a difficult path that is, what a journey it is to get from a concept to a, a finished product to something that's published. And, and many people fail at this, and you, you have succeeded. Uh, t- tell me, how many books have you published so far? I'm on book number three. So I published um, a romantic comedy called Worth the Wait in 2014. And then I published this duology called the Popularity Pack series. The first book, um, Camp Click, came out in, um, in April. And then the second book, School Squad, came out on October 6th. That's such a cute name, Camp Click. I love that. And Thank you. Very, very cute. And you would agree it's it's not easy to publish a book, right? <laughs> Right. It is it is very challenging. And you've used you've thrown around a couple of phrases today like query letters and writers market which now is all online. So tell us how many query letters did you send out? What is a query letter? Tell, tell us how you got from A to Z. Okay, so a query letter is a letter that you send to get a literary agent. So in order to get a book on the shelf in the bookstore, there are gatekeepers called literary agents. Most publishing houses will not look at a manuscript unless it has been sent to them by a literary agent. So the query letter is what you send out. Um, and it has a very, so anyone who is looking to be a novelist, um, you can Google query letters because there's a very specific format. It, it talks about yourself and your book and the concept. And you reach out to agents. Um, and then if they're interested, they will ask to see your manuscript. And then the next piece is then the, the agent has to submit your manuscript to publishing houses to see if they're interested. So it's, it's a quite quite a process, which was why I had to give up some of my volunteer work along the way. <laughs> so this is another yeah. area where you just have to be your own cheerleader. And you and I have attended many of the same conferences and heard similar mm-hmm. people speak. Sometimes they say you need 70 rejections before you're going to get an acceptance. I, I mean, th- this is, it, it's a difficult task. So how many rejections you know did you have? Quite, so it's funny because I talk <laughs> my novel writing students a lot about this um i sort of look at it um as information so if you send a query if you send out let's say 30 query letters and you don't hear from any agents 
it might not mean the story concept isn't good because usually you send a query letter maybe the first three chapters. If you don't hear from any agents, chances are you need to tweak your query letter. So you need to kind of go off of this information. So if you're not hearing back, it means you need to fix your query letter and try again. What do you mean by fix the query letter? Do you mean change your um, concept or target someone else? Maybe maybe you need to tweak your pitch so that it's more clear. Maybe you didn't include enough background information about why you're the perfect writer to tell this story. Maybe you didn't get your voice on the page because a lot of novelists struggle with the query letter because it uses a different part of your brain. It's a totally different kind of writing. So sometimes novelists sound stilted in a query letter. So, um, and then let's say you send out your query letter and you have a bunch of um, agents who are interested. They ask to see your manuscript and they don't take you on as a client. Then that means you have a great query letter. It did its job, got your foot in the door, but it's your manuscript that you need to revise. And so that's that's what I always tell my students. It's just information to get you where you need to be. And I, one of your quotes that I'm sure you were quoting somebody else, but when you said to me, write like an artist, revise like a business person, you, you're clearly mm-hmm. following that path. Yes, you have to take the emotion out of it. Um, and it's funny because I'm a very emotional person with everything else in my life. That's one of the reasons I keep working with kids in this way because I I, I feel so much compassion for them. I want to help. I want to serve. But when I look at not just my work, my students' work, as I'm sure you can speak to, uh, there's no emotion. If something needs to be changed, I will let my students know. I will let myself know. I don't get emotional about my own revisions, and I try really hard not to get emotional with my students' revision so that I can give them really concrete information so they can improve on their work. So I try. It's something that you have to work at. So when you were coming up with the idea for these books, particularly, let's say, the popularity pack, did you write what you knew? I mean, I've always wondered how a writer comes up with the idea and actually carries mm-hmm. it through. Okay. Um, the idea itself came to me in a flash. So there's a book called Big Magic written by Elizabeth Gilbert. And Elizabeth Gilbert, you know, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love, this book about um, being an artist and a writer, um, she talks about this um, concept that ideas are almost like free beings who are floating around us and they'll come to you and you have to decide if you're going to accept that idea and, and go with it. And that's what happened to me. The idea came to me in a flash about two kids, one of whom fits in really well at school um, and doesn't fit well in well at camp and vice versa. Um, you know, and then I had to, to sit down and write it. But as far as writing what I know, this book, Camp Click, takes place at sleepaway camp. And I personally have never been to sleepaway camp. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Fake it till yeah. you make it. That's great. Yeah, so the so it's so it's funny because this idea came to me and it was so perfect and and just the right idea. But there's nowhere else that this book could have taken place besides sleepaway camp. So I had to really do my research to make sure I got the sleepaway camp details correct because I had no idea. <laughs> so you know we we've, we've gone through all of these machinations that you've been through and one thing that we're always discussing here at the balance dilemma is the concept of having it all can you have it all how can you have it all at the same time 
How do you feel about that concept in light of everything we've discussed, going from a, a career in teaching, having to reinvent yourself due to a, a health scare, and mm-hmm. uh, finally getting your dream of being a published author? Is it possible to have it all? I don't think so, because somebody like me, okay, I, I found my way back to teaching. I found, um, you know, my, my novel writing career. I'm ha- very happily married to my husband of over 20 years. I have a wonderful relationship with my daughter, but I will never be a healthy person. I will always be struggling with my health every single day of my life. It is something I have to work really, really hard at. And so I will never have it all in terms of having all of this and also being healthy and feeling good. And so that's just me personally. I think other people have their one thing that they struggle with. And I just want to say that it's okay not to have it all. It's okay to have some of it. And and if you don't have all of it, work towards some things that you really want and that really matter to you. Um, and do the best that you can and be grateful for all of those pieces that you do have and practice gratitude every day because I don't think anyone has all of it, but if you have most of it, you can be a really happy person because I am. I can speak to that for sure. Do you have any regrets or things you continue to think of as failures? No, because... um, like I said, some of these things that happened to me that were difficult put me on the path that I was meant to be on. Even having these two books come out in the pandemic, somebody was saying to me the other day, I'm so sorry that you had such bad luck that this happened, that your books came out during this time. And I truly believe that it happened the way it was meant to happen. I was meant to have two books come out in the pandemic so that I could serve all these children. And so that I can learn how to pivot my career and come up with strategies that I can use long after the pandemic is over. So I'm not a big person, you know, who believes in regrets. Do you believe in mentors and mentoring others? Absolutely. So um, I have had women in my life who I look to either because they're more professionally successful than me or because I love the values that they have. And I look up to the way that they live their lives. So I consider people like that my mentors. And through teaching, I feel really honored that I have women who look up to me as their mentor. And that's something I take very seriously. And when I feel like I'm in a position to mentor somebody, I embrace that and I try to pay it forward and give back what I have received from people who I look up to. Yes, and you've been part of a program. I mean, we can do a shout out, but Sarah Lawrence is one of the most uh, encouraging uh, environments where writers and creative people can get support and you always have people who are willing to help you out um, and not mm-hmm. all programs are like that but I want to take this moment to let everyone know our guest at our next show will be on November 5th 2pm we have John Brisson uh, they say that behind every successful man, there's a woman uh, who's behind that success. And in John's case, he has a wonderful story about the recipe that he and his wife have used to have wonderful careers and family. And John has had a life of coaching, teaching. He was an attorney. And we've invited him here to tell us about that and the things that he has utilized to make the his family experience so great. So tune in on November 5th for that.
I can't wait to listen to that. I, I will be certainly tuning into that. What a great guest that you have coming up. I'm so proud to be um, the previous guest. This is great. And so, Eileen, if we wanted to conclude with any little kernel of advice that you want to give to aspiring authors or uh, maybe moms who think, oh, can I do what Eileen did? What, what would you say to them? Believe in yourself. If I can make this happen with 18 years of chronic illness and working part-time jobs along the way, you can too. So the very first thing you need to do is believe in yourself, have confidence, and let people in your life know that you what you want so they can support you on the way. Thank you, Eileen. This has been great. So so nice talking with you. This is The Thank Balanced you. Dilemma. Thanks so much for having me. This is The Balanced Dilemma. I'm Maura Carlin. And I'm Christy Derrico. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back November 5th.